have your Bibles, would you turn with me please to the book of Psalms and we're going to look this morning at Psalm 57. Psalm 57. And uh, I'll be reading from the NIV and if you have one or have a, a, a phone on your Bible, please find that and then please keep that open so you can follow along in the sermon. So Psalm 57, we'll read the inscription at the top. It says it's for the director of music, which tells us David wrote this and he intended that one day in the future would be used in the temple uh, which Solomon, his son, was going to build and it would be used for public worship. And it says to the tune of do not destroy. And if you look at the next two Psalms after this, you'll notice they also have the same inscription on that side of things. They also have do not destroy at the top there. And uh, the Bible scholars, Matthew Henry especially, points out that if you remember, David was hiding in the cave and Saul came into the cave by quote unquote coincidence. And his men told him, now's your chance, David, kill him. And he didn't. Instead, he trusted the Lord. And that became the name of a tune, Do Not Destroy. And uh, that's the background to that. Of David, we're told, it's a miktam. Hebrew word miktam means literally golden words. So I've got pure gold for you this morning. All right, there's gold in Demdare pages of the Bible. And uh, the Psalms are a part of that, a miktam. And the background story is when he had fled from Saul into the cave. And this was when David uh, was not yet king, but he was anointed to become king and Saul was out to kill him. So let's read the psalm. It says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me, Selah. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. But they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory 
be over all the earth. Amen. Came across a, 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 an interesting news story from America uh, about the Cool Beans Cafe, coffee shop in Long Island in uh, the New York area. And uh, in the, the shop here, they have, a, a, you know, like a... a uh, coffee that you can take uh, away, as most coffee stalls do. Uh, and on one occasion, a gentleman pulled up in his van outside to run in and go and get some coffee. Uh, he was busy and he didn't have time to, to park, so he just left his van running outside like he was doing a delivery. Unfortunately, the man had a dog with him, and the dog somehow got up behind the steering wheel of the car, somehow managed to put his hands down on the uh, gearbox, and the whole vehicle charged into the coffee shop. And the man inside the coffee shop was suddenly greeted by his dog coming towards him in a car, through the glass windows, across the patio, and doing uh, extensive damage to the shop. Thankfully, nobody was hurt and the dog uh, was uh, not put in prison uh, be, uh, because it was a, a, an animal, but a, it was a, a shocking thing to happen that morning. True story. Well, you know, sometimes in life it feels like the dogs are behind the wheel, doesn't it? And uh, crazy things are happening in our world. And we live in a world where you think to yourself, who's in control? What is going on in our world today? We live in a chaotic world. But as Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, said, times are bad, but God is good. And the Christian is somebody who can have confidence in God in the dangerous world which we live in. And confidence in a crisis, no less. And this is something that David testified of in this particular psalm. And uh, this psalm is a, a, a very special psalm uh, in, in Christian thinking for the some of the theological points that come out that I'm going to be sharing as we go on. But it's a, a psalm which must have been precious to David because he used half of it again when he wrote Psalm 108. And Psalm 108 begins with the end part of this, this psalm. But he wrote it to give testimony to how God was going to help him and had helped him in the battle against Saul and when he was on the run from Saul. And uh, it's a, a psalm that falls into really two halves. You have the part that he wrote when he was going to bed and the part which he wrote when he was getting up the next morning. And we know that because if you look in verse 4, he says, I'm in the midst of lions. Now, he doesn't mean, I don't think, literal physical lions, although it might be true that there were lions in the, uh, in the place where the cave was uh, at that time. Lions were in the land of Israel. But more likely, he means the people who are pursuing him. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts. And you notice he says, I lie there. I'm, he's going down to bed. And he's conscious of the fact that Saul and his men are prowling around outside searching for David to kill him and he doesn't know what's going to happen even the words they've spoken have hurt him and he says men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords and uh, he's got a, 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 a quite a frightening situation as he puts his head down on his pillow but the next morning he arises and the situation has changed and in verse 6 you'll notice it says they spread a net for my feet I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. 
And God has turned the situation around. And so he says, verse 8, Awake my soul, awake harp, and lie, I will awaken the dawn. The next morning, overnight, God has changed his circumstances and given deliverance from the attack from Saul. And we know from the book of Samuel uh, partly how that happened. And so David writes this psalm to show how he can have confidence in God in a crisis. And this is something we need to have today, as I said, given the world that we live in and given the fact that we live in a fallen world and things happen continually in our Christian lives uh, that we're, we're not protected against. We live as much in a fallen world as our non-Christian neighbours do as well. And the Lord Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. It's a, it's a fallen world with things that affect us. And we can respond in different ways. We can respond in, uh, in, in unbelief. We can respond in fear. Or we can have confidence in our God. Really, it's the difference between the Lord Jesus and his disciples in the boat when they were caught in the storm. The Lord Jesus had said to his disciples, we're going to the other side. His word said it, they were going to the other side. And so he went to sleep in the boat. But when the storm came, they were crying out, don't you care if we drown? And they were panicking in the middle of the storm. I've got to be honest with you, that's more like me than asleep in the storm. So I need this psalm, and uh, I'm guessing some of you do too. But those are the two reactions we can have. We want, though, to be people who are confident in a crisis. I don't know what this week is going to hold. I've been reading the book of Proverbs in my Bible time at home and I was struck by the proverb that says, do not boast about tomorrow if you do not know what a day brings forth. We don't know what could happen tomorrow in our world or in our world personally, our lives. So we want to be those who have confidence in the crisis through faith in the Lord. And this psalm, broken into three parts, talks about God's protection, God's providence and God's praise, which David celebrates for what God does. So let's have a look at this psalm under those three headings and ask God to build our faith for the times ahead. First of all, God's protection, which is verses 1 through to 4. And here David celebrates the fact, or shows the fact, that he is looking to the Lord to be his protection against King Saul and the things that are happening to him. Uh, and I see this really uh, broken down again uh, in three ways. I see his basis of protection mentioned in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. Notice he says it twice. Spurgeon said it's like a bell. Uh, you know, a bell with, a, with a, a ringer strikes one side and then strikes the other with the same note. And David said the same thing. He said, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. And he calls the Lord by God, his sovereign name there, uh, rather than Lord, which only comes up once in verse 9. But throughout the psalm, he's called O God. And he calls on God to have mercy on him. And he says, for in you... My soul takes refuge. And he's speaking here about the basis of his protection in God. He's saying, hey, have mercy on me because I've, I've trusted you with my soul. And I've taken refuge in you with my soul. Like the, 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 the rich man 
sorry, the Pharisee and the tax collector who came to the temple in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18. Do you remember the tax collector stood afar off and he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He was crying out to God to have mercy. David uses the same expression, have mercy on me, because he says, in you my soul takes refuge. And this is the basis of us finding protection in God, is that we have a relationship with him, first of all, before we need protection. You know, lots of people come running to God when they want something from him, but they don't want him the rest of the time. I've told this story before about a little girl who was afraid to go up the stairs in the house in the dark. And she had a a very big house. Her mother and father were very wealthy and they had servants and so on. But there was no one free to go upstairs with her. And she said to her mother, she said, I'm scared to go upstairs. She said, well, pray to the Lord Jesus and you'll be all right. So she prayed at the bottom and said, Lord Jesus, be with me as I go up these stairs in the dark. And when she got to the top, her mother, who had her ear open through the door, heard her say when she got to the top, thank you, Jesus, you can go now. She thought Jesus was like her servant. You know, you be with me and then I'm finished with you. And that's how many people have that attitude towards God, don't they? I want God there when I need him, but I'm not interested in him the rest of the time. But listen, if you want God's protection, you must know him as your saviour, first of all. And you need your soul to be right with God and secure in Jesus, first of all. You don't just need to be saving your skin, you need to be saved from your sin. And you need to look to the cross where Jesus died to save you and for God to uh, wash you clean from your sin. So a relationship with him can be established. Until then, you have no right to seek God for his protection. But that was the basis which David came on for his protection. But his behavior with, uh, with God's protection was interesting and informative as well. Because in verse 1, he goes on and says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And he says here, I'm going to actively do something. I'm going to take refuge in you. And the image here is of a a bird shielding her young from danger. Heard a story of a pastor who was traveling through, uh, uh, through from one place to another and he was given a chance to, to lodge overnight with a farmer. And this farmer wasn't a Christian, but this farmer was uh, somebody he wanted to share the faith with and share the Lord with. And he was praying, Lord, would you just open an opportunity for me to be able to give this man the gospel, to be able to tell him uh, about you, about what you've done for us. And... Uh, It came the next morning because the farmer came in and while he was having his breakfast, he said, come outside to the barn. He said, I've got something to show you that's amazing. And they went outside and there was uh, his hen and his hen was sat there. And he said, touch that hen. And he went near it and the hen didn't move. And he thought this was strange. And he put his hand on it and the hen was cold. And the farmer lifted then the hen off. And underneath were some little chicks. The hen was dead on top of some little chicks underneath. And he said, do you see this? And he showed on the neck where a weasel had come in to the barn and had attacked the hen. But the hen hadn't moved to protect the chicks underneath. Isn't that amazing? And 
the, the man saw, this is my opportunity. He said, Lord, that's what Jesus has done for us. He paid the price and he, he stood between us and the judgment of God and we've been shielded by him. And uh, he used that to share the faith with the farmer and give him the gospel. But you know what? This is what David is saying he wants. He says, I want to take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I want you to protect me until the disaster has passed. I'm coming to you for this. And he does it in prayer in verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. We'll come to the second part of that in a moment. But he says, I cry out to God most high. And this is how he comes to God to take refuge under the shadow of his wings. He's going to pray for God's protection. And I want to say this, dear friends, if we want God's protection as God's people, we need to pray for it. The Lord Jesus taught us, deliver us from the evil one. Pray that uh, every day. Uh, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, protect us today. Paul taught the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians to pray for deliverance. For not everyone has faith, he said in 2 Thessalonians 3. And we live in a dangerous world. So he said, pray for this, pray for this. And I just wonder, brothers and sisters, is that something you do? Is that something you do? Or do you just take it for granted? Because each one of us needs to be prayerful for salvation and ask God to save us. But then we need to be praying, Lord, protect us in this world. Protect us from sin and temptation. Protect us from the attacks of the evil one and things happening to us as well. And with all the things going on in the world around us, I cry out to you, God most high. You see, God is most high. And we have the highest level of, uh, of authority to appeal to for protection. Isn't that wonderful? He is the most high God and he rules over all. And if we pray to him, then God can look after us and answer our prayers. And uh, this is something personally Heather and I do every morning. Every morning is how we start the day. We pray for the family and we pray for God to maintain a hedge of protection around us. Remember the story of Job and how Satan said, I can't attack Job because you've put a hedge around him. And he said, only if you take down that hedge will I be able to attack. And in his sovereignty in that story, God did. But I pray every day, God, maintain that hedge around us. Don't let the evil one through. Keep us safe. When we're driving our cars, when we're out in the world with people, when we're online, there's dangers online. You know, God protect us from this wicked world. And that's David's example. I commend it to you and think that's what we should do as well. But the blessing of God's protection was what he talked about in the response in verse 3. He said, he sends from heaven and saves me rebuking those who hotly pursue me God sends his love and his faithfulness and this was what happened in answer to his prayer he saw God come to his protection and help he sent from heaven he created circumstances which led to a change with the situation temporarily with Saul and so he was spared from attack And David says, this is how God did it for me. He rebuked those who hotly pursued me. When David challenged Saul afterwards, he'd done nothing wrong. Saul himself realized that and uh, for a moment was in his right mind again and said, sorry, David. And that God sent his love and faithfulness to David. 
the Hebrew word hesed means his covenant love, his faithfulness, keeping his covenant. And this is what David enjoyed, the blessing of protection. And I want to tell you, dear friends, what David experienced is real. It's real. It's real to God's people. The Lord is our protector. And I've got testimony after testimony to share with you uh, about how that has been true. I'll share just one for now. I read a a back copy of Open Doors magazine, which some of you may know about. Open Doors is the ministry that helps the persecuted church. And here's a testimony I came across going back many years, actually, um, from North Korea. And it's the testimony of a man by the name of Lee John Shung. And Lee John Shung wanted to flee North Korea. Now, his mother and his brother had previously tried to flee North Korea. And as they had swum across the river, they'd been killed by soldiers, the Tumen River. And so he knew he needed a different way out. And so he says this, I also prayed to him, prayed to God. I decided to risk everything and reach South Korea. And a few months later, he got his opportunity to, to, to make a crossing, uh, not across the river, but to go to Vietnam. And it was on that journey that the Lord actively prese- protected him at the most dangerous point when they were near the border of Cambodia, where many refugees get caught and get sent back or get taken to prison. And that night, as he and the refugees rested, he said this, he had a dream. In my dream, a bright, white and big angel appeared. He told me to follow him. I woke up and the angel was still there. He said again that I should follow him. I woke the two other refugees and we went after the angel up the mountain. The angel didn't say a word during the seven hours he led us. When the sun rose, we were in Cambodia. The angel turned and smiled. He said, you are now free. There will be no more obstacles. Then he disappeared. I don't have any doubts that Jesus sent his angel to rescue me. What an amazing testimony that is of God's deliverance and protection. And our great God is capable of such mighty acts. Now, I have to just give one caveat. This is very important. Because God protects us, that doesn't mean we behave foolishly. All right. And this is something that the devil even tempted the Lord Jesus with. You remember the, the temptation that the devil took Jesus to the top of the temple and he said to him, and he quoted the Bible, quoted Psalm 91. He said, jump off. He said, because the psalm says, you know, your feet will not strike a st- against the stone because the angels of God will protect you. And Jesus knew, although that was true, he knew it was equally wrong to test God. And he said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And it's not, because we have God's protection, doesn't mean we, we, we say, well, therefore, I don't need to care and I can do stupid things. All right, we must act wisely. God's providence, God, sorry, God's protection is there for when we really need it. So that's the first thing. David speaks of God's protection in a crisis. And he had faith that God would protect him. Secondly, he had faith in God's providence. And that's what we see in verse 2. And this is the theological point that uh, a lot of commentators uh, really draw out on. And books have been written based on this verse alone. It says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. 
Now, that verse is translated in different ways in different uh, Bible translations. Most Bible translations say along these lines, the lines of the King James Version, that God performeth all things for me. God's performing uh, his plan for, for me. The Young's literal translation says God is perfecting for me. The RSV said God fulfills his purpose for me. The New Living Translation says, God will fulfill his purpose for me. The ESV says, who fulfills his purpose for me. Unfortunately, the New NIV says, God vindicates me, which is a very different uh, uh, interpretation. So I just mentioned that just because some of you may be looking at this thinking, well, it doesn't say that in my Bible. Um, But it does in the uh, 1984 NIV, which we use in the church and in other uh, Bible translations that are perhaps a little bit closer to the Hebrew here. The Hebrew literally means God completes for me. He completes something. He finishes something. A bit like a payment. Uh, If somebody is owed money and they give you they pay the money, they've completed what they promised. And this is true with David. David had been promised by God that he would become king. You remember king, uh, sorry, not king, the prophet Samuel had anointed David in the house of Jesse as king. He was also going to be later anointed at Hebron and then finally at Jerusalem. He had three anointings which is uh, wonderful. Um, and there's a whole sermon in that, which I won't start on now. But uh, he, uh, he, would, he knew it was God's plan for him to become king. And therefore, he was able to put his trust in the providence of God in this situation, that God was going to work all things out for his good and for, uh, for him to come to the throne. And that's what we talk mean when we talk about God's providence. Um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a, a very uh, weighty uh, uh, and good uh, theological treaty explaining a lot of Christian terms, says this God, about providence. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. You see, it's something that God does when he takes control of a situation and maintains what he has decreed and what he has planned to come about. And David knew God had this plan for him. And therefore, he knew in the middle of that crisis that he was going to be okay, Because even though Saul was coming for his blood, God had promised that he would be king and he would be king. And so God who fulfills his purpose for me, who performs all things for me, he would bring it to pass. And this is what you and I need to trust in as well. In times of crisis, in times of difficulty, we need to trust God knows what he's doing. We need to trust God knows what he's doing. And he is on the throne and his plans rule and that he will work all things together for our good and for his glory in due time. There's a book called The Voices of the Faithful that has some testimonies in it. And one of the stories in there is about a a pastor in South America who bought a van to give people a lift to church in. And uh, he wasn't very rich living in South America and he didn't have much money, but he bought this van 
and it needed some work on it. It needed some new tires. Well, this pastor didn't have any money to buy the new tires. And so he thought, well, I've got the van. We'll just work and save and, and trust God to provide the money for the tires. But guess what? The van got stolen. The van got stolen. And he was so upset. Uh, Lord, you know, we bought that van. We scraped. We prayed. We, we gathered money to buy that minibus to give people a lift to church. And someone's gone and stole it. But a few days later, the police got in touch and said, we've got your van. And they had found his van and the man who had stolen it. And they had found that he was a, a thief who had taken many other vehicles as well. When the man got his van back, it had a brand new set of tires, it had new back seats, and it even had a high-class radio. You know, a boom, boom, boom as it goes down the road radio. And the man, uh, looked, the pastor looked at the policeman and said, well, I didn't buy all these. these, these this wasn't on here uh, when I, I had the van. And the policeman said, that's the thief's loss and your gain. Now, friends, that is God's providence. Trusting God's providence. Now, something bad happened. Everything's gone wrong. Oh, God, why did you let this happen? Why did God let it happen? To bless him, to meet his need, to help him, and to work things out. You know, I found an amazing verse in Ezekiel 14.23 where God says, I've done nothing without a cause. You should remember that. I have done nothing without a cause. God has a plan and a reason for everything he is doing. And that means we need to be people who trust God and look to God and walk step by step with him in life, uh, trusting in him. Charles Spurgeon says about this, not merely can we say that God can perform all things for you, but the verse says, who is actually doing at this present moment? And this is what he says. He, he fulfills it. He does it for me. He's doing it now. This makes prayer all the more important. I'd like to share with you a testimony uh, about a man by the name of Peter James Matkovich. And Peter uh, is a professional golf player. He plays off a handicap of four. Uh, and he is a golf course designer. He retired out of playing professional golf and he became a golf course designer. And he has designed and built and reshaped over 35 golf courses in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Kenya and Mauritius. And he is a Christian. He's somebody who's a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he wasn't always. He grew up in uh, what was then called Rhodesia, and he brought, was born in a strict Roman Catholic family. And he rebelled against that, and he got into a life of womanizing and drinking. Uh, he had one failed marriage because of his sinful behavior. And then he met another girl who was a Christian, but he wasn't really that interested. He was interested in her. He says this, I met my present wife and she kept talking to me about Christianity. And I started to go on ch to church on Sundays and even became a member of our local church. But little changed. During the week, I lived the same life as before. When I look back, I guess I was the worst type of quote unquote Christian anyone can be. To say you are a Christian and then behave to the contrary, to be a hypocrite. 
Sadly, that's the example many unsaved people witness. I was playing straight into the hands of the devil. But one Friday night, I was sitting in a pub when someone invited me to go to a breakfast the next morning and listen to a talk. Well, he didn't want to go, but he thought it would earn him some brownie points with his girlfriend. So he went. But he said this, that when he got there, the man was speaking my language. And uh, he was so impressed with the man's testimony to true conversion from Roman Catholicism, which was his background, that he said it really spoke to him. And at the end of the talk, he said, you may know about God, but do you know him? Put your hand up if you want to commit your life to the Lord. And he said, I found myself putting my hand up and asking the Lord to become my saviour. Well, he became a Christian and today he lives his life carrying on in his work. But he does his work now with the Lord's leading and planning. And with the help of other Christians in the work, they have a Christian golf course making organisation. He said, uh, every morning we say prayers and we commit our ways and the day to him. We stand on Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord everything you do and your plans will succeed. We have not experienced any serious accidents since we started doing this. And believe me, we have worked on some scary and dangerous sites. By praying together, it has lifted us onto a different level Everybody from our receptionist all the way through knows that the Lord Jesus is our chairman. We pray and ask for his advice before we do any job. It's not that you suddenly become incompetent when you come to know Christ, but it is suddenly that you realize that you can't do it without him. (laughs) And that's his testimony. He prays every day, God, about what we're going to do today in business, what we're going to do. Keep us safe, guide us. We trust our way to you. That's living, understanding the providence of God. You realize God's in control. So you're going to pray, Lord, guide me. Take control of my heart so I'm doing the right things. This is what made the difference to Joseph, you remember, down in Egypt when he was taken there. He knew God had a plan. God had, had, had revealed he would one day have his brothers bow down to him. Now, he didn't know how that was going to be. But God, when he took him through Potiphar's household, down to prison... Brought him then up to the palace because the providential plan of God was at work and he was trusting in it. So, dear friends, how to have faith in a crisis? Put your trust in the providence of God. And uh, I would just say this sometimes things work out better than you ever imagined. I've got one more testimony, all right? So, please forgive me. But this is a personal one, just a silly little one. But me and Heather, when we sold our house back in 2001, because we were going full-time into the ministry, uh, and we couldn't support our mortgage, so we said, we'll sell our house. But one thing we will do is we'll have a good holiday. So we went to Canada. And uh, we went to Canada. One of the things we wanted to do was go out on one of those speedboats to go and see the orca whales, which was absolutely fantastic. And there we are, all suited up. And we got there, and this was uh, to go from Victoria Island. And when we got there, there was loads of other people uh, who were there getting in the boat. And the guy there, who you see standing on the front of the boat, he said, now I have to warn you, the front of the boat is very bumpy. So if you get travel sick, don't sit at the front. And guess what happened? We were at the back of the queue and everybody rushed for the back. And we too had the two seats right at the very front. And I said to Heather, I said, this is going to be interesting. And uh, so we got in there. Do you know what? 
we had the best seats in the whole thing. We had more fun than everybody else. They were like at the back of the coach. We were at the front. We had more, more bump. We had more. Uh, it was a roller coaster ride for sure. But we saw the whales better than anybody else and everything. And we got back. And when we got off the boat, everyone came up to us and said, we wish we had taken the front seats now. <laughs> God knows. Trust his providential hands. He is in, in control. And thirdly, we see... David's praise, God's praise, in the final part of the psalm, verses 5 through to 11. And David was confident that he had a life ahead of him of praising God. And notice verse 7, verse 8, verse 9 twice, he says, I will, I will praise God, I will. He knows this is his calling of God. He is called to praise the Lord. In fact, here's a fascinating thing. You know, I love the Guinness World Records, okay? A little confession. I'm a bit of a nerd like that. Do you know what the longest encores are in history? They go to this, these two men, the famous opera singers, Placido Domingo and uh, Pavarotti. Domingo in Vienna on the 30th of June, 1991, had one hour, 20 minutes of encores being called back 101 times from the curtain. Isn't that amazing? 101 curtain calls. Pavarotti, he uh, had 165 uh, curtain calls in 67 minutes. You know what the people were doing? They were saying, you're fantastic. We, you know, we want more. We want more. We're praising you for what you've done. That's what they were saying. Well, David knows to God belongs endless praise endless praise and he wants a life worshipping the Lord all the time he sees a call to praise in verse 5 be exalted O God above the heavens let your glory be over all the earth and that is the beginning and the end of verse uh, of this portion in verse 11 again as well he repeats it and this is where he begins that uh, other psalm I told you about, uh, Psalm 108. He uses these words there as well. He calls us to praise and worship the Lord. The cause for praise in verse 6 is because God has made the enemy fall into the pit that they dag for themselves. That's a fulfillment of Proverbs, isn't it? Proverbs 27, uh, 26, verse 27, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. And uh, that's what happened. King Saul's plans backfired on him. The commitment to praise David gives is in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. He's saying, I'm going to praise the Lord. I am going to do it. And he was committed to it. And he was committed to do it at the start of the day, uh, having been delivered. He says, awake my soul, verse 8. Awake harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awaking cries, may Jesus Christ be praised, as the hymn says. You know, he wanted to start the day praising the Lord because of what he had done. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is what differentiates us from the world. The world is very miserable and unhappy. It is full of cursing and complaints. But praise, thanksgiving and, prom- and contentment mark out the Christian and show he is no longer of the world. He praises. And the content of his praise is in verses 9 and 10. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, among the Gentiles like us. And he's called the Lord there. Uh, Adonai in Hebrew. I will sing of you among the peoples. 
For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And I love this. You remember earlier on back in verse 3. He said God sends from heaven his, his help, his love and his faithfulness and mercy. It comes down and David says now my praise is going back up for what he has done. Because your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And he is full of praise for God's deliverance and he is confident that this is going to be another reason why he's going to be kept because he's made to praise the Lord. And do you know what, dear child of God, that's what you're made for too. I love that story in Acts chapter 3 of the man who was healed in the name of Jesus by Peter, uh, who was the lame man. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. You remember the old song? you know? And it says in Acts, and everybody saw him Walking and praising God. God challenged me on that verse. And he said once, do you see, do the people see you walking and praising God? They should do, shouldn't we? This is what we're called to do. A life of praise for the God who delivers us. You know, in 1904, the great revival, not very far away in Wales, across there, uh, came to the Rhonda Valley. And the men who worked down those mines, down those pits, Uh, digging the coal their lives were spared in more than one way they had a very dangerous job and they had uh, the risk down there uh, of mine collapse and all sorts of risks but they prayed to God after becoming Christians and uh, they were saved from their sins that was the other way they were through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and every day when they would come out of the pit do you know what before they went home they would have a little service Before they got changed, all their coal all over their faces, they would have a little service, a little thanksgiving service to the Lord. He kept them safe down the pit today. Kept them safe down there, down their minds. And one of the younger lads, it was his job to say as they went out, lift your lamps high, men, lift your lamps high. And dear friends, I think that's an altar call for us as Christians, isn't it? As we go out of here today, lift your lamps high. Lift your praises high. The Lord is the one who rescues us and delivers us. Let's be people of praise and worship to our God for what he has done for us. So David had confidence in a crisis in these three things. And I pray that will mark God's children here at Union Chapel too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. And we would say with David, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And we pray that we will be those who are confident in whatever is ahead this week. We put our trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.